I'm going to talk this morning about the idea of being a people of the story, a people of the story. And, and this is one of those mornings, uh, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, his name is Scott McKnight. I'm sure our theology differs somewhere, but I haven't found it yet. And, and he says that we read scripture, we return to scripture, not to learn something new, but to remember something old. We don't look to it to find this crazy, fresh revelation that we've never heard before in our entire life. It happens. It's beautiful when it does. But these are timeless truths that have carried the people of God for thousands and thousands of years. So that's my intention today. We are going to return to some truths that some of you may listen and be like, I, I, think, I, I think I got that one down. That's great. I encourage you, just continue to listen, because I think what the Lord is doing in this is he is, at least this week for me, he was teaching me once again what it means to embody a person of God, what it means to be someone that bears that name Christian, what it means to be a part of the greater lineage of the people of God. Uh, I'm grateful to be a part of, of, of the lineage of this church. Uh, my, my first Sunday that I was announced here as a pastor, uh, Pastor Zarlingo invited me up and, and he let the church know that I am the youngest and the most handsome, I'm kidding, no, just the youngest the youngest pastor we've ever had on staff here. And it just so happened that Sunday that Nathan Rasmussen, one of our missionaries, was speaking. And he, uh, he pulled me to the side afterwards. He said, actually, you're not the youngest pastor that we've ever had here because I was 23 as well when, when I came on. And I thought, how special to be a part of a church for that, that takes risks, not simply on, well, this person kind of fits what we want for the position, but saying, it doesn't matter the age, it's about, it has God called you to be here? And I'm just grateful to be a part of our church that has done that time and time again. And so this morning, I'm gonna speak out of the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. One of my favorite pastors always says, begin with the word, because if your teaching is horrible, at least the people got the word. So we're gonna start off with 1 Corinthians 15. This is the apostle Paul speaking. And this is what he says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Remember, Paul does not receive the gospel in the four-book form like we have. He received the gospel by Jesus himself. If you remember in Acts when he's knocked off his horse, that is whom he receives the gospel from. That's who he hears about Jesus from. And it's from that moment that Paul repents and returns to what God is doing. And so this gospel he is preaching was from the truest source, Jesus himself. And this is it. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born. He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether, it was they, uh, whether then it was I or they, 
So we preach and so you believed. Can I pray just to consecrate this moment to the Lord? God, I thank you for these moments in front of us and I thank you for this morning. I thank you, God, that we get to gather as a body of believers. Men speak imperfect and so I assume uh, I will do the same today. But Holy Spirit, do what you always do and breathe through these words. I thank you, Lord, that you would go as so far as to put your character on the line as to allow us to try to describe you in a broken English vernacular. But we trust you today to do something sacred in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever repeated a word so many times that it no longer sounds like a real word? Like just in a row, sequentially repeated a word? Or, or, or maybe you've been with people and you've heard a word. It, it appears everyone else knows what this word means except for you. So instead of asking, you just go on and pretend like you know the same. Maybe it's a movie or a book everyone's read. You're like, yeah, yeah, for sure. My, um, my mom's parents were both born in Puerto Rico, and so my mom was fluent in Spanish. I am not. And, uh, and growing up, there's, there's a word my mom would always use. She, she would say, she would say, mira, come in here. And, uh, or mirar, for those of you who don't speak Spanish. And she'd say, mira, come in here. So I'd come in, she's like, Jeff, you gotta take out the garbage. What are you doing? I was in trouble. And so I didn't know what meet I meant. I had no idea what it meant. So I thought it meant I was in trouble until I went over my, my grandfather's house and he would say, Mira, what, what do you think about Mark Sanchez? Hey, how, how you feeling? We, we had a lot of those conversations. How you feeling about Geno Smith? We went through all the Jets quarterbacks and I'm like, all right, Mira means something. It means I'm in trouble, but it could also have something to do with, with the Jets. All right, I'll keep. And my mom, my mom, then I'd go home and I'd be like, Mira. There, there's a bunny outside. There's a baby bunnies out there. And I'm like, what does this word mean? And then thank God, seventh grade Spanish right here at SCS. Thank you, Senorita Gonzalez. I learned, I learned that mirar means to look. My whole life, everyone's trying to get my attention. Look here, you're in trouble. Look here, what do you think about the judge? They were trying to get my attention. But there are these words that we go through throughout our lives, Right? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just the confused one running around. But I believe there are words in Christianity. And I'll be honest, for most of my life, there were words that I struggle with that I'm like, I have no idea what that is, but I'm going to keep singing it because everyone else seems pretty into it. There are words within our faith that we repeat and we repeat because we've learned them. And this morning, we're going to talk about one of those words. And that word is gospel. I believe gospel is one of the most important words, one of the most important uh, uh, stories and pieces of the overall biblical narrative, but more than that, our lives. Paul in the book of Romans says that the gospel is the power unto salvation. So this holds a lot of weight. So you're sitting here like, so we're going to talk about a word for the next, I'm going to wait for Pastor Z to come back next week. Wait. I believe this is important because many in America would call themselves evangelicals today. Evangelical, right? And that word evangelical finds its root in the Greek word euangelion, which is translated into the English, literally, good news or gospel. 
And here is, here is where we hold on. We are really in some way gospelers or gospelists, people who bear the gospel. But I think what happens sometimes is because it's natural, because we have church tradition, because we have ways that we live our lives, because we receive the Lord in a different way, the word gospel, I believe, has been reduced. So I'm about to, I want to bring some clarity here. I'm about to list some things that are sacred things in our faith and they are products of the gospel, but they are not the gospel themselves. But I feel it's important to mention this up front because I think it's some ways that the gospel has been reduced. Some think the gospel is just for a salvation moment, this initial moment of being saved, and that moment is sacred. It's important to remember that moment you gave your life to the Lord because it's the moment that Jesus found you. We did not find Jesus. Jesus found us. Let's be real with ourselves, right? But that moment is sacred, but the gospel is not simply some tool in your tool belt for salvation. That's not its purpose. It's bigger than that. But some Christians, I believe, may not be gospelists, but salvationists. They're just obsessed with that next big moment of salvation. Some have reduced the gospel to, to a healing manual. We have the four gospels written, and it talks so much of Jesus' life and ministry, and so much of that is powerful healing. And I believe in the sacred healing of Jesus. But, but some people just look at the gospels, and they say, well, I, you know, this is what Jesus said. Let me just track within us. And that's their entire Christian faith. And so they're not really gospelists. They're healers or, or healers, which is not what we've been called to be, Yes. Some people take the gospel and they reduce it down to a behavior modification book, right? It's like Jesus said to act this way, so if I act this way, my life will be perfect. And so that's the gospel. The gospel, I hear it so that I look more like a Christian and I could be a better husband, a better wife, a better son, daughter, a better coworker, whatever. And that's important. We need to be formed into looking like Jesus. We need to look like Jesus, but it's not, it's not, the gospel is not just a tool we throw around to do that. The gospel is so much more. And so I just, I'm going to talk about the gospel today. Like I said, this may be some stuff you already know, but try to remember with me here, because I think many, including myself at times, have taken this and reduced it. What is the gospel then? We receive it from Paul right here. Like I said earlier, Paul receives this gospel from Jesus himself. And he even says, I didn't go to the apostles. He'll say this in Galatians. When I received the Lord, I didn't go to the other apostles. I actually went to the mountain first to meet with the Lord. So we know he received this gospel from the Lord. And what does he say? He says that Christ died for us in accordance with the scriptures. We realize very quickly the gospel does not simply begin with the book of Matthew and the, the New Testament. It points us back. It points us back to the scriptures, that first like 80% of your Bible. That he died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Catching a theme here. Then Jesus appeared to the many, and at last he appears to Paul. We realize quickly, if I were to give a good working definition of the gospel, the gospel is the good news of Jesus within the history of the people of God and the history of God. I'm going to use that word story this morning. When I say that, I'm not saying the whole Bible is allegorical or a big old metaphor. It's history, but I just like the way story sounds better, and I think it makes sense because it's thematic. It's, it's theological. As gospelists, it's our job to live and to learn this story. 
We ought to be masters of this story, and it's a lifelong pursuit. And so what does it mean to belong to this story? What does it mean to reflect this story? Probably a lot of things. I could probably talk for a long time about gospel today, but I really felt the Lord hit three points for me today, so I'm going to hit those. The first way that we belong to the story, the first way that we are a people of the story is we ought to know the story. Straightforward enough? We need to know the story. That I, I, I remember before I went to college, I was in high school, I probably read through the four Gospels, maybe some of Paul's shorter letters, you know, maybe like popcorn, the Psalms or something, something like that. And I realized quickly I was missing most of the story. And so we ought to know the, the scriptures. Jesus is constantly pointing back to the Old Testament. He's constantly pointing back to the prophets and to Adam. And he's pointing to the people of God all the way back to Abraham. We need to understand scripture and the world around it. So I encourage you, if you're not in the word, start with devotions. This is very practical. I'm a practical person. I'm not here to just have a big philosophical conversation because I believe Jesus wants to do something in our life, not just make us think kind of better. It starts with devotions. It starts with getting in the word every single day and allowing the word of God that has transformed the church for the last 2,000 years to transform you. After you find yourself in the word, begin to study it. This is a separate time where you don't just read it for, for the devotional moment, but you actually study it because you develop questions about the stuff you're reading. A great place to start is the footnotes on the bottom of the page. They often point back, if you read through Jesus' teaching, most of the time they point back to the Old Testament. You see a common thread here. To like Leviticus and the law and that stuff that ruins all of our Bible in a year plans. We ought to know the story. When you feel like you're getting good at studying, you're gonna run into questions. When that happens, find someone you trust. Find one of the pastors here. Find a leader here and begin to ask questions. One of the best answers you'll get is, you know, I'm not sure, but let me get back to you on that. That's an honest answer. There are a lot of questions and we're all figuring out what this means, but we ought to begin to ask these questions. Check out commentaries. A great resource I, I always go to is the Bible Project. They're a, they're a nonprofit animation studio, but they take every book of the Bible and they make a, a, a short film about it. And it actually just unpacks the whole book and it gives you a great context for the book you're reading because there's a lot of historical things happening around scripture, right? First, we need to know the story. Second, if we're going to be a people of the story, we have to recognize that we're a piece of the story. You are a piece of the story. What that means is this. The whole story does not revolve around you. It does not revolve around me. But we are an integral part of it, that without us, it's incomplete. So we need to own the piece of the story that is, but this is a big group activity. A lot of well-meaning pastors, including myself, Maybe when I'm leading worship or leading a prayer moment, I'll say, it's just you and God. You know what my favorite part of Sunday mornings are? It's not just me and God. It's me and other believers. When we're worshiping in those pews, there are people in those pews next to you that have been serving God decades longer than you've been alive, at least for me, with wisdom, with moments with the Lord that has changed lives. And there are people in those pews that have just given their life, that have a fire for the Lord we need to catch. If we're gonna be a people of the story, we have to realize that we are a piece of the story. I'd like to normalize a word here, and it may be a controversial word. In some of your homes, this may have been, I said that first service, and some people were like having a heart attack when I said it was like an inappropriate. In some of your homes, this may have been an inappropriate word. 
That word is help. Help. I believe as a church, we need to be really good at using the word help. And I think we ought to use it in two different sentences. One, I need help. I need help. I need someone. I don't have it on my own. Two, I can help with that. You know what my issue's often been? I got too much pride to ask for help, and I'm too busy to offer it. Anyone ever struggle with that? Listen, I'll bear it all on stage today. I don't care. I'm a human too. When the Lord breaks you down enough, when you are able to get past your pride, I can't tell you the amount of conversations I've had with different pastors and leaders at this church like practical conversations about my life. The moments I've talked to Pastor Stephen and said, hey man, I'm struggling, I need help. And he was willing to walk alongside me. I remember when I first came on here, I was young, like I said, and I remember sitting at my desk and being like, what did I get? I, I applied for this job, so, so they think I think I'm qualified. And I, and I remember I, there was a couple moments I was sitting there and I was just like, wow, there's a weight to this. There's a weight to pastoring. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I got myself stuck in this. I did. I just called Pastor Ted. He was the one to sit down with me. He talked me through how to do weddings, how to do funerals. He taught me through counseling. There is so much readily available help. We, me and Pastor Dean were just talking about this this week. If a kid came up to you and asked you a specific question about something you are an expert in, would you not take an hour and explain everything to them? Like, this is who we are as a church. We have strengths and weaknesses, and we fill each other's gaps. We have over 100 ministries here. I promise you, there's not a ministry in this church that you would walk up to the leader and say, hey, I'd like to help your ministry. And the leader would say, ah, we're good. You should go somewhere else. Every ministry, I can tell you, we are reaching so many people here. You know what the number one thing that keeps us from reaching more people is? Help. There's ministries meeting all throughout the week. Your life experience is probably the perfect experience needed to change someone else's life. Can we do that? Can we be a people of help here? Lastly, in band, you guys could start coming up. I'm gonna close soon. The last point is we need to love the hero of the story. Fall in love with the main character of the story. Hint, it's not me and it's not you. So often we wrap the whole story around ourselves, and so what happens in turn is we take ourselves way too seriously. I promise you this, God has moved through much more broken vessels than you. We need to learn to fall in love once again with the main character of this story, and as we begin to study it and as we begin to embody it, we realize time and time again that God has been the main character of the story and he's been the one moving in this story. And you know what one of the greatest ways we fall in love with Jesus is? It's reading his story. It's so practical. I could preach the same sermon every Sunday. Because we keep having to return to it. But it's the call we have to watch God. Watch what he's doing. Read his story. Read his history. Watch God in the garden walk with Adam and Eve. Perfect unity. And watch as Adam and Eve attempt to usurp God's authority and become God. And so in turn, they have to be cast out of the garden. Perfection turned to chaos that God turns to order. It's kind of a theme throughout the book. He says, I'm going to curse that serpent. A son is coming from mankind that's going to crush the head of that serpent. 
promises again. So they get cast out of the garden. And what happens time and time again, they try to become God. And so whether it be Cain, whether it be Babel, whether it be Abraham when he's promised the nations and he tries to become God in his own hands, God still chooses to use him. People of God in captivity, God frees them. They try to become God. And after they are free, they look in the promised land. They say, hey, we can't do this. God's like, I told you. 40 years in the desert, but what does God do? He works with them anyway. Come on, they wind up in the promised land. They say, God, we want a king. Why? Because we want to be God. We want to be the main character. We want to be the hero of the story. And, And so they ask for a king and God appeases them. And what happens? We see the brokenness in the kings of Israel. And the prophets continually echoing, there's a Messiah coming. There's a king coming. There's a perfect king coming captivity again with the Assyrians and they return and all along the prophets are declaring there's a king and then Jesus enters the scene the perfect king reverses everything right he's a servant of all he heals every sickness he frees people he restores people he redeems people he brings back people who didn't belong in the story quote unquote and he brings them right back to the forefront of the story need to live this story because this is our story we need to echo jesus we watch the lamb die be crucified watch the lamb buried we have to watch jesus we need to watch as the lion roars is resurrected on that third day and then if i could we need to echo paul because the gospel is alive it's a living story It didn't end when the book ended, because Paul even says for himself, and least of the apostles, me. The gospel ends with him. Is the gospel alive in your life today? Is it alive in your homes today? Maybe, yeah. He's always worked through broken people and he'll continue to do so. But man, if we wanna see this world changed, story we have to embody Jesus in his entire way of living and the power that he holds amen I'm gonna pray for you before I close Lord I thank you that I belong to this body man I'm so grateful to be a part of this church God I thank you that you didn't save us and send us off to be alone You gave us the Holy Spirit and you gave us one another. God, if we have rejected your gospel in any way, if we've reduced your gospel out of preference, out of laziness, out of confusion, out of whatever, we're sorry. Help us see you rightly again and help us to be people that reflect and embody you, O King Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name.